John chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And this is what the Word of God says. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he, as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And this is the word of God. Please be seated. What a blessing it is for me to share God's word with you today, and I hope it will be a blessing for you as well. You know, some people can talk to anyone about anything at any time. My late mother-in-law was like that. She could strike up a conversation with anyone, no matter where she was, no matter who it was. You know, not everyone can walk up to a total stranger and begin a conversation. In fact, not everyone should, actually. A couple of years ago, uh, we had a homeschool group that was meeting in our building one day a week. They would use our classrooms downstairs. And uh, it was a Tuesday. I, I came to the office about lunchtime like I usually do. And uh, I got to the, the office door just as a, uh, I guess it was kind of a junior high age child uh, arrived at the door at the same time. And, you know, I wanted to be friendly. And, and so I said, hi, how are you doing today? How's, how's class going? And she looked at me and she said, my mother told me never to talk to strangers. Okay, well, that's probably good advice. And so I opened the door for her. She walked in. We never said another word to, to each other. The most valuable parts of the gospel in most of our minds are the words of Jesus. I don't think too many of us would argue with that. Uh, how many of you have a red letter Bible? Yeah, a lot of us have a red letter Bible. Uh, and, and, of course, that, that version has the words of Jesus, you know, colored in red, which sets those words apart from the rest of the text. Most of his words were conversations he had with people, primarily the apostles. Less frequent, of course, he had conversations with the religious leaders. The most numerous occurrences of his words were his teachings because even his conversations, you know, were obviously opportunities to teach many times. The only exception might be John 17, where he actually worded a prayer to God. But all of his words were truth, which included his conversations. As one famous missionary once said, the gospel is communication. No matter how successful we are. At setting a good example, 
we can't very effectively lead someone to Christ without conversation. Have you ever played the game called charades? Charades is a game where you think up a word or a phrase, to, and you've got, you're standing in front of a group of people, and you think up a word or phrase, and you have to act it out. And they have to figure out what that word or phrase is. Trying to communicate the gospel without words is like playing the game of charades. I believe all Christians, all Christians want to be able to teach someone about Jesus. The problem with which we often struggle is how do you begin? Where do you start? Especially with people you don't know. Years ago, I worked in downtown Columbus, Ohio. And uh, every day there was a middle-aged man holding an American flag in one hand and a Bible in the other. And he was preaching on one of the main street corners right downtown. In fact, it was the street corner on which the state capitol was located. And, and he would just stand there and he would scream and yell, uh, you know, repent or die was his message. You know, and he had to talk kind of loud anyway because there was a lot of traffic, you know, on these busy streets. And, you know, the message was true, but everyone avoided him like the plague. Uh, I mean, you, you would see people walk as far around him as they possibly could as he's waving the flag and the Bible at the same time. You know, and people like that may be very sincere, and I'm, I don't judge that he believes that. But they're viewed as kooks. And, and no one really wants to engage them in conversation. I'm not even sure they really want to engage anybody in conversation. Starting a religious conversation with someone does not have to begin with religion. It also does not have to begin by shouting and condemning or judging someone as though you're holier or wiser than they are. You know, you know, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. Hopefully none of you have started a conversation like that. Or if you don't go to church every Sunday or if you don't give 10 percent, you're going to burn in hell. Would you like to study that a little bit? You know, we need to keep in the forefront of our minds that the gospel is good news, not bad news. You know, we're told to share the good news, not the bad news. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, there comes a time to talk about the bad news. There comes a time to talk about consequences. But if you start with the bad news, you'll probably never get to share the good news. One of the, the comments that Jeremy had quoted a couple of weeks ago in his uh, Bible class on Sunday mornings, and if you're not going to that, you really should. That we are Christians are called to be witnesses, not prosecuting attorneys. And one of the best ways that we can learn how to start a conversation is by examining how the only perfect man who ever lived did it. He was a master communicator. How did he begin a conversation? There are lots of examples. I'm just going to share, uh, really, I'm just going to focus on one this morning. When Jesus initiated a conversation with a stranger, he rarely ever began with religion. Even though the Jewish culture, of course, was all about religion, everything they did was religious-based, yet Jesus rarely ever started there. 
And John four is the familiar familiar. If you're a Christian, the narrative about the woman at the well, Jesus and his apostles were headed to Galilee and they had to go through Samaria to get there. Now, of course, Samaritans were considered corrupt people because they were, you know, part Jew, part Gentile. The Jews refused to associate with them. They considered it a sin to even converse with a Samaritan. So Jesus and his apostles came to Jacob's well, and Jesus decided to rest there while his apostles went on into town to buy some food. And while Jesus was there, the Samaritan woman came to draw some water. So here's Jesus, a Jew, and here comes a Samaritan woman. And Jesus started a conversation with her, much to her surprise, by asking her a question. It was not, do you believe in the God of the Jews? The question was a very simple one in verse 7. Will you give me a drink? So Jesus violated several cultural norms here. First, Jews did not associate with Samaritans, as I mentioned. A Jew would never drink from a cup that an unclean person had touched, which is what she would have been considered, obviously, because that would defile the Jew and make him unclean. Secondly, men and women usually did not converse in public and and one would not normally converse with a stranger. In public. So Jesus violated several cultural norms in order to start a conversation with her. And he asked her to meet his need of thirst. Her response was, you know, somewhat predictable. Why are you even talking to me? So his willingness to converse with her surprised her. And Jesus then answered her question by saying, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you Living water. Translation. If my speaking to you surprises you, you would really be surprised if you knew who was speaking to you right now and what I could give you. Living water in that culture meant spring water or water that was continually moving, not stagnant water like you might find in in a well. But, But Jesus wasn't speaking of that. That's not the kind of living water he was talking about. He was speaking of something else. It's revealed in the red letter words of John 7, 38 and 39. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And the next verse says this. Now, he said this, what he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. So Jesus turned this conversation into a spiritual conversation, speaking of the spirit that leads to eternal life. But he began with a simple question, asking this woman to meet his need of thirst. Give me a drink of water. And really, he asked her to meet his needs so he could meet hers. The woman uh, whose curiosity is now peaking asks him if she could have some of this living water. Hey, I'd like to have some of this living water so I won't have to keep coming to this well all the time. You have to keep in mind, as do I, that God has entrusted to you something that he wants you to pass on to others. 
1 Thessalonians 2.4, Paul wrote, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. We have conversation. You have critical information, as do I, that every human being needs. You cannot keep it to yourself. You have an obligation to give it to others. The world desperately needs this information. They're going to die without this information. Imagine if you were a witness to a crime. And you learned that someone else was arrested and accused of the crime. You knew the person who did it. But you refused to testify. In other words, you know the truth. But you are unwilling to share it. That just wouldn't be right, would it? When this woman asked Jesus for water, he wanted to give her. His response was, go call your husband and come back. Oops. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're correct. He said, as a matter of fact, You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. So Jesus points out uh, several rather embarrassing facts about this woman's life. Now, notice, though, that he didn't condemn this woman. He simply pointed out the truth. He brought up the facts, kind of like the adulterous woman in John 8. You know, he didn't condemn her either, even though she had committed sin that she didn't deny. You see, it's not our responsibility You know, Nate talked about this a little bit ago in his comments. It's not our responsibility to condemn people. We're just as guilty as everyone else when it comes to sin. Who are we to condemn anyone? Our job is to help people become aware of sin and to find reconciliation and salvation in Jesus. That's our responsibility. What Jesus was doing was simply starting a conversation so he could give this woman what he knew she truly needed. And he started by asking her to meet his need of thirst. Uh, We have a membership to Sam's Club. How many of you have a membership to Sam's Club? A few of us do. Some people call it the $100 store. We use a credit card. It doesn't matter. Very often in Sam's, there are people who are introducing a new product. And if you go anywhere near them, if you even cast a glance in their direction, they will walk up to you, try to initiate a conversation with you because they want to introduce their product to you. I admire those people. I kind of I have fun with them. I joke a little bit with them. I had one lady put this uh, put this exfoliating cream on my hand one day just because, I, you know, go ahead, you know, it'll make you feel better. It didn't make me feel better, but it made her feel better. In a similar way, we are trying to introduce people to the good news. And, and we won't know whether they'll accept it or not until we start a conversation. In the next chapter of John, moving from the woman at the well to chapter 5, Jesus uses this same strategy, but in a little bit different way. Jesus eventually arrived in Jerusalem, and instead of going to the temple first, he went to the pool of Bethesda. The pool of Bethesda was to believe to be a healing pool. 
the superstition was that um, the angel would come and stir, uh, some kind of an angel would come and stir the waters. And if you were in the pool or could get in the pool when the waters were stirred, you would be healed. According to verse 3, there were a multitude of invalids laying near the pool. Some were blind, some were lame, some were paralyzed. And one in particular had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus approached him, knowing that he had been an invalid for a long time, obviously, and, and started a conversation again with a question. And the question was, do you want to be healed? And the man answered Jesus by saying, you know, I don't have anyone to help me to get into the pool. And when it's stirred, everyone else gets in before I can. So the man assumed that Jesus was going to help him get into the pool when the water was stirred. And that's not what Jesus did. He just healed him on the spot. Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. And the man was immediately healed. And so in this instance, in this example, Jesus didn't start by asking for his own need to be met. He started by asking if he could meet this man's need. You know, there's there's no shortage of people in the world who need help. Everyone needs help from time to time. I mean, we all do. Many people are able to meet their own needs generally, but you can always find a way to help someone. Immediately after this man was healed, I mean, you can imagine the commotion. That created because there was a crowd of people there, according to verse 13. And Jesus wasn't interested in creating a scene, and so he, he kind of meandered off. Later, in verse 14, Jesus found this healed man, this man that he had healed, in the temple. Which means Jesus sought him out and then said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. I mean, that's a similar response he gave to the adulterous woman later in John 8 when he told her, go and sin no more. Now, Jesus was not implying that his paralysis, you know, was caused by sin. That's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus was warning him to live the right kind of life where he could end up in a lot worse situation. You know, and which would involve, of course, being cast into hell, possibly. That's the situation the world's in. So Jesus didn't condemn him. He just cautioned him. Live this way, because if you live this way, there are pretty severe consequences. So we've seen two examples of Jesus starting a conversation with someone. He begins both conversations with questions. You know, in first, he asks for help. Could you give me a drink? And in the second, he asks if he can give help. And those are obviously not the only two ways to start a conversation, but but they are two methods that Jesus used with people that he had never met before. He didn't start by asking a religious question like, do you go to church? Do you believe in God? Instead, he began by asking a question that had to do with a need that led to a spiritual conversation. You know, we all we've all heard the proverb that people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. We all tend to be extremely focused on our. Our physical needs, you know, our immediate needs, which mostly are physical and not so focused on the more important need, which is spiritual. 
That's the most important need anybody has. It's spiritual. Now, you don't want to appear to be a Bible-thumping Jesus freak. You know, you, you, but, but you do want people to know how deeply you love Jesus, how much he means to you, how much faith you have in him, and how desperately they need Jesus. Two of the ways we see Jesus start a conversation with a stranger is just simply by asking a question. Can you help me or can I help you? Very simple. And when you ask a question, it provokes a response. You know, making a statement doesn't always provoke a response. You know, unless your statements are provocative. And, and Jesus, of course, sometimes made provocative statements. When it was the right moment, you know, when, when it was the right audience, he would do that. So you need to look for ways, and I need to look for ways to help people, just to be of help to people. You need to look for ways to engage people in conversation. Now, there are some questions that you should never ask anyone you meet for the first time, okay? Free, unsolicited advice. Number one, are you pregnant? Don't, don't do that. Number two, why aren't you married? Not a good question. Number three, are you a Republican or a Democrat? I wouldn't go there. Number four, how much money do you make? Number five, how much did you pay for that? Now, a close friend you might be able to do that with, but not a stranger. Number six, what happened to your hair? Number seven, is that your grandchild? And number eight, are those real? So, beginning with a question is one of the ways that Jesus did it. He did it very appropriate way. Those would not be appropriate questions that would lead to a productive spiritual conversation. You need to be cautious, though, about using this example of the Samaritan woman in regard to asking for someone to meet your need. Uh, Jesus didn't ask for much, just to drink water, and immediately offered to give her much more in return. That was his purpose. So what we primarily see is Jesus simply asking if he can be helpful. Jesus was continually seeking ways to interact with people and to help them. And everyone needs a little help from time to time, right? In this sinful world, we, we do have to be cautious because some people are trying to take advantage of you. And the Greens will testify to you about that who are in charge of benevolence. Most people appreciate help. And we need to look for those opportunities. Some people have more needs than you have resources. You know, so you won't be able to help everyone. But starting a conversation doesn't cost anything. But it could lead to someone's salvation. If you're not a Christian this morning, your greatest need in life has not yet been met. You know, every human being who ever lived eventually becomes separated from God because of sin. And therefore, every human being needs reconciliation with God. So we'd like to help you do that this morning. We'd like to help reconcile you with God this morning. If you're willing to make your confession this morning that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you're ready to commit to Him by confessing your faith verbally, 
by being immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We want to help you do that today so that you can be reconciled to God. If you haven't done that, you've never been reconciled to God. So please think about that this morning. You can respond in a couple of different ways. You can come down here to the front as we sing this next song. You can go to the back. There will be an elder to greet you in both places. Or you can just see one of us afterwards at some point, uh, maybe in the fellowship hall after service has ended. Thank you so much. Please think about it. Be reconciled to God this morning as we stand.